1: a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org/podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening and thank you for your support
2: from KQED. I'm Sasha Coca. It's the California Report Magazine. Our show is often the place folks come to when you wanna hear stories about the people who make the state what it is or the places that make it so special. But this week, we've got a story about what it means to be a journalist when the story you're reporting on also affects you. We're gonna turn over the mic to the amazing Erica Cruz Guevara. We call her ECG. She hosts a podcast we produce at KQED called The Bay. Erica's story is about a camping trip she went on with her best friend during the pandemic. But it's also a story about the mental health impact of reporting the news when you're a journalist of color. Here's Erica.
0: So, back in the MySpace days, I was really into cameras and taking pictures of things. Taking pictures was a very casual hobby of mine in middle school. I would bring a digital camera to family events and just document them. And my best friend, Rochelle, she's always been into cameras and taking pictures of things, too.
3: In eighth grade or freshman year, you got a Canon, I got a Nikon. Here's Rochelle. And we would just take pictures of everything and anything of each other, of our families, of, you know, the car across the street, you know, just random things all the time. Now, a
0: little bit about Rochelle. Rochelle and I have this matching tattoo on our arms of our childhood homes. We grew up on the same street in Sassoon City, California, in one of those suburbs where every other fourth home is the same model. Our childhood homes were identical inside and out. My favorite addendum to this fact is that we even had the same couch as kids twice. We're also both Filipina Americans, so we've always had a lot to relate on, and photography is just another one of those things.
3: We rarely had pictures with each other because one was always taking pictures of the other person.
0: Me and Rochelle have been friends for more than 20 years, and when the pandemic hit in 2020, we really didn't see each other at all. So when the vaccine finally arrived and promised to change life in the pandemic, we got vaxxed up as soon as we could and planned a camping trip. It was March of 2021 by this point. I forgot what it was like to plan things and this trip was happening all kind of last minute, but we landed on a place that we'd both never been to before, Kirby Cove in the Marin Headlands. We pulled up their reservation page and there was one available evening for late March at campsite number one. So we booked it.
3: I just remember we both were just talking about how stressful work was and how working from home was getting, it was getting old. I know we didn't really see each other, so we just needed that break from our like everyday lives.
0: Now, this was my first big trip out of the house since the start of the pandemic. As a journalist, I needed a break from the news, and Rochelle needed a break from her job as a coordinator for an after-school program, which she'd been running via Zoom. We hadn't had quality time with each other in months. We both needed this. And then... Atlanta happened.
1: We want to start with a horrific shooting rampage in Georgia that has left We're eight people dead. We're
2: learning some new dead. details about yeah. a CBS string of shootings at the Atlanta area yeah. spas some that tragedy. left There's eight a people shootings. dead. deadly
1: shootings. In Atlanta, killing at least eight this morning people as well. Fearing the attacks may have targeted the well, Asian community. Like a series of Feebles deadly of shootings at Asian massage Six points.
0: of the eight dead are said to be Asian women. Six were women of Asian descent. Police say the 21-year-old suspect admitted to the shooting, saying he blames the spas for providing an outlet for his addiction to sex. Police also say he was... By this point, storm. I'd seen dozens of stories and photos and videos of Asian elders being beaten and attacked. Oakland and San Francisco were the epicenters of some of the most high profile incidents.
3: I just remember during that time, like it was heavy for you. I know for I know that like work was really stressful um because of what's because of what you just have to cover for your job, all the stories you have to do
0: as a producer working in local daily news, It was my job to pay attention to those things. To let them swirl in my mind and figure out how to cover them. And no matter how much I wanted to, I couldn't look away. I always felt it was my responsibility and my job to bear witness.
3: A lot of elderly Asian people were, you know, being targeted for, you know, blaming us for, you know, COVID and the whole pandemic. And at that time, I was like living on edge, not for me, but like for my parents, for your parents. When I told my dad about
0: me and Rochelle's camping trip, I remember him telling me, if you don't go out, nothing bad will ever happen to you. If the six Asian women and two customers killed in Atlanta never left their homes, then sure. They might not have been killed by an armed white gunman who targeted Asian businesses because of his, quote, sex addiction. Sometimes when I go out, I worry my dad will prove me right. But as journalists, we're not really supposed to have big feelings about the stories that we work on. To cover the pain of the pandemic, the failures of our institutions, police violence, attacks on the Asian community, and meet our deadlines, compartmentalizing is a necessary skill. So I spent the week of the Atlanta shooting shoving my feelings to the back of my mind just to get through work. And by the end of the week, I was just happy to be getting away. I packed my car for one night of camping with my best friend.
3: When we finally got to our campsite, man, it was very, I was, I was speechless. Kirby Cove is this amazing
0: grove of cypress and eucalyptus and pine with its own private little beach.
3: One spot that always pops up in my head was this little like field of calla lilies. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. And like the sun was just like hitting them. From behind, and like, yeah, it was just so beautiful.
0: it was like a movie, yeah, one of the descriptions of Kirby Cove on the official Golden Gate National Parks Conservancy website says quote, "No other beach in the world has a view like this.
3: It just felt really nice to just be outdoors and enjoy the vitamin D and like also getting to do that with you because I haven't." Like, we haven't seen each other for so long. Now,
0: to get to our campsite, you have to walk from one end of the cove to the other. Campsite number one was the furthest from the entrance, perched on a cliff overlooking the Pacific Ocean and the Golden Gate Bridge, with San Francisco on the other side. It was the best campsite on the cove, and we felt lucky because for most of the day that we arrived, we were the only ones there. Me and Rochelle pitched our tent and began exploring the cove. Around the corner from our campsite was Battery Kirby. It's this large slab of concrete built into the hillside and used to defend the coasts during wartime. Before the end of World War II, batteries like these contained 16-inch guns that fired 2,000-pound projectiles. When we got to Battery Kirby, visitors had covered these abandoned structures in chalk drawings and messages.
3: I remember at first we we saw the chalk and we didn't know. like We were like, oh, what should we write on this? Because, you know, people Mm -hmm. were like the other drawings on there were like smiley faces, rainbows or like profanity, whatever. But we had this whole wall, empty wall of Mm -hmm. like... Like a canvas, like what, what could we write? You started writing. Um stop AAPI hate because that was just the week leading to our camping trip. That was it was it was everywhere.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Cause maybe it was just also like a hey, there are agents here at this campground, like we don't want any harm or whatever.
0: Rochelle wrote, Love us like you love our food, under my message on the battery wall. I didn't think about it at the time, but there was so much irony in that act. Yet another example of gun violence in America, commemorated on a slab of concrete that once housed weapons of war and domination. After we finished exploring the rest of the cove, we made our way down to the beach and touched the water. I marveled at the cliff's walls. There were these amazing indents in the earth that looked like stairs. The roots of the trees that shaded our tent above were poking out and it was such a beautiful day. As the sun began to set, we walked back through the cove to the entrance where our car was and brought the remainder of our things to our campsite. More campers had begun showing up and pitching their own tents around the cove. And I started to take stock of who else was camping at the cove that night. One campsite was a group of white high school boys with their one Asian friend, At another site was a group of men drinking beers who gave off bachelor party in the wilderness vibes. I couldn't help but notice that there weren't any other women around, or any people of color for that matter, with the exception of the one Asian kid. And I started to become painfully aware of my body. To get anywhere to and from our campsite, we have to pass by Battery Kirby and our chalk messages written in huge letters. But every time we passed it, there was this dread that I could not shake. I just couldn't bear to look at it. Something inside of me was deeply paranoid. I worried we'd find our messages defaced with either some hateful message or maybe even a Nazi symbol. Something to tell me that someone who doesn't agree with stopping Asian hate would be here. Something to prove that maybe my dad was right, that I should have just stayed home. And whether these were legitimate fears or not, I started to regret what we wrote on the battery walls. Writing those messages had woken something up in me. They were reminders of the thoughts and feelings I had spent the week shoving to the back of my mind. In the wilderness, your sense of safety is warped when you're a woman. And when you're out of the house, period, in March of 2021, your sense of safety as an Asian person is warped too. I kept these thoughts to myself though. I tried over and over again to ignore them. By this point, the sun had set and the city was glowing. The other side of our campsite was pitch black. I didn't want any of these feelings to ruin the trip, so I stuck to the itinerary. I'd printed out the New York Times' 36 questions that lead to love before the trip. Me and Rochelle had planned to do this activity together after dinner. According to the preamble to the questions, the idea is that mutual vulnerability fosters closeness. And I learned things about Rochelle that I didn't know before. I learned that she has a secret hunch about how she'll die. That she thinks I'm a generous person. We talked about facts about our lives that we forgot were actually wild coincidences. Like the fact that our dads are from the same town in the Philippines. That they both had three daughters and that we were both the Bunsos or the youngest and how wild it was that the universe had brought their daughters together on this cliff at that moment. We talked about her mom's death when we were just freshmen in high school, how
3: I didn't always know how to
0: be helpful after that.
3: You apologize for like, like not knowing what to say during that t- the time that my mom passed, but it was also like, I, di- I didn't expect anything from it when we were 14, because we were so young, um, and like it's something that like I never want you to experience. So it was okay, you know. I, I just appreciated you being there, um, and I don't think I like thanked you for that. It was the
0: kind of conversation with your best friend that grounds you, brings you back to earth. The kind of conversation that feels like yet another chapter for two friends just growing up and figuring out how to do life together.
3: It just felt like our own little like therapy session and just talking about those things with you, with my best friend, it just, it felt good. It just felt like I, I got a lot off my chest, my shoulders.
0: I only mentioned my fear and paranoia to Rochelle once that night. She asked me if it was because of the people that we passed by on our way back to the campsite. She knew. She sounded so sure when she said that we were going to be okay, and that comforted me. But I didn't sleep at all that night. Instead, I gamed out an escape from our spot on the cliff in case someone tried to enter our tent. I even imagined waking up to a group of white men lounging in our chairs and helping themselves to all of our food. Every rustle in the leaves made my heart stop. Rochelle's brother-in-law slipped a knife in her bag just in case, but we accidentally left it inside of the lockbox that secures our food from wild animals, and it was dozens of feet away from our tent. I tried to focus on the sound of the ocean but I probably slept a total of three hours that night.
3: We woke up pretty early. I felt like seven, eight, um, and I remember like waking up, hearing the, like the waves from the beach. You were already awake, I think. Um, mm-hmm. I asked if like you were okay, and you were telling me you barely slept because you were scared from the night before but um think just like getting out of our tent and like seeing that like everything our our, all our stuff was still there you know Mm -hmm. um getting that morning sun felt really nice
0: when we went to the bathroom down the hill from our campsite the group
3: of high school boys and
0: the bachelor party in the wilderness were all gone we were alone again
3: like, no no cars, nothing, like, not even a, a tent was there. But yeah, it was also just, like, a relief, like, I guess, that we were safe. Mm-hmm. That was, like, the main thing.
0: Me and Rochelle ate ramen for breakfast and took in the final hours of the most amazing view of the Golden Gate Bridge before it was time to pack up and go home. A week later, I processed our camping trip in therapy. I told my therapist I'd never felt so out of control of my own mind and body. She told me that what I'd experienced was a trauma response, a direct result of my job as a journalist, and a likely culmination of all the information I was consuming about the shooting in Atlanta and the attacks on Asian people leading up to it. It was the first time I really cried about what happened in Atlanta. In journalism school, you don't really learn about the psychological impact of this work or how to mitigate it. And when it's your community under attack, how do you stop yourself from having big feelings about the story? How do you compartmentalize that? For Black, Native, Latinx, and Asian journalists, we are expected to do this every day under the guise of objectivity, when what we really mean to say is the guise of whiteness. After the Atlanta shooting, Asian journalists reported being told by their superiors that they weren't allowed to cover the story for fear that Asian reporters couldn't cover it fairly. By telling journalists of color to remove ourselves from stories, it's asking us to whitewash them, when in reality, our experiences, our hurt, our pain, and our fear only illuminate the truth. It wasn't until weeks later that me and Rochelle developed our film from the trip. When I got the photos back, I was floored. How is it that all I see is joy?
3: One of my favorite pictures from the trip. It was a picture of you. You were just facing the ocean, and in front of you was the Golden Gate Bridge. And, um... You can see faintly the Bay Bridge. I feel like we both captured like, not just like the beauty of like Kirby Cove, but like the beauty of, of us and like each other. Just like looking at those pictures, yeah, it was just like a very happy time in my life, even though we were both going through our, our own things. Um, it, it, didn't, it didn't show that's for sure in those pictures.
0: I wondered if my smiles were evidence of a sort of dissonance, of how good I'd gotten at compartmentalizing. But I think many things can be true at once. I'm glad that this is what I have to remember of our trip, because they also show me that we can make art out of tragedy and pain, that when I'm afraid fear insists that I return home to my body. That maybe this is what it looks like to return to my own body, if even for a photo. These photos remind me that it's our friends, our family, our community who will beckon us home. That it's them who will remind us to smile for the camera and to remember joy.
2: was Erica Cruz-Guevara, host of the podcast The Bay. She originally produced and wrote that story for Hella Asian, which is a live community event hosted at KQED by the San Francisco chapter of the Asian American Journalists Association. Thanks so much to the folks behind this event, especially Ryan Davis and Cecilia Lay. Kristen Huang edited the live version of this story, and this recorded version was edited by Alan Montesilio. Shout out to producer Maria Eskinka for gathering some of the sound you heard in this story. Finally, we want to share some big news about two women of color who've had to struggle hard to get recognition in Hollywood. We've brought you profiles of each of them here on The California Report magazine. The first is Native American actress Sasheen Littlefeather. She recently got an apology from the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences.
1: Accepting the award for Marlon Brando and the Godfather, Miss Sasheen Littlefeather.
2: In 1973, Sasheen Littlefeather caused an uproar when she appeared at the Oscars award ceremony on behalf of Marlon Brando. That year, he won the Academy Award for Best Actor for his performance in The Godfather. Sasheen Littlefeather walked up on stage and announced that Brando would not be accepting the award. And
1: the reasons for this being are the treatment of American Indians today
2: by the film industry, excuse me, after the heckling and the boos she had to endure at the Oscars, Hollywood boycotted Little Feather, and her TV and movie career floundered. But her work as an activist took off. Two years ago, reporter Chloe Veltman caught up with Sasheen Littlefeather at her home in Marin County and brought us her story. The more that Native American Indian people like myself
1: speak out, the more understanding that there becomes the truth has got to win out above all the lies that have been told about us by the dominant society.
2: Almost 50 years after that night at the Oscars, former Academy president David Rubin wrote that the abuse Little Feather experienced was, quote, unwarranted and unjustified. And he went on to write that the emotional burden she lived through and the cost to her career in the film industry are irreparable. For too long, the courage you showed has been unacknowledged, he wrote. Next month, the Academy will host a special event with Sasheen Littlefeather, featuring a public apology and a celebration of Indigenous culture. Another actress of color who's finally getting some long-awaited recognition from Hollywood, Juanita Moore. Miss Pinky, you have to do something
3: about
2: that dice. What is it this time? She's been at that new sterilizer again. Every time I sterilize a sheet, she puts them back. Says they ain't white enough. That's a clip from the 1949 film Pinky. Juanita Moore was a film, TV, and stage actress from LA, although her name didn't even show up in the credits for a lot of the movies she was in. She appeared in more than 80 films and TV shows. And she was the fifth black actor in movie making history to be nominated for an Oscar. Hers was for her role in the 1959 film Imitation of Life.
0: I just want to look at you.
2: That's why I came.
0: Are you happy here, honey? Are you finding what you really want? I'm somebody else.
2: She was nominated for her performance as Annie, a mom whose light-skinned daughter Sarah Jane rejects her Black identity and tries to pass as white.
3: And if by accident we should ever pass on the street, please don't recognize me. I won't, Sarah Jane.
0: I promise. I settle all that in my mind.
2: Following Juanita Moore's death, her nephew, Arnett Moore, who lives in Oakland, began pushing for his aunt to get a Hollywood star on the iconic Walk of Fame. He talked to us about that effort for a story we ran last year.
0: She was a trailblazer. She opened doors. And today, a lot of the actors of color are not having to deal with some of the things she dealt with.
2: Well, we've recently learned that the pioneering actress will finally be honored with her very own star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame next fall. Arnett Moore says the attention Juanita Moore's legacy got from our listeners may have had a little something to do with that. And that's it for the California Report magazine for this week. We're a production of KQED in San Francisco. Victoria Maaleon is our senior editor. Susie Racho is our producer director. Our team also includes Alex Hall, Steven Vascon, and Amanda Font. Brendan Willard is our sound engineer, and Jessica Carissa is our intern. And I'm Sasha Coca. Thanks again for listening. This is the California Report magazine, your state. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading!
0: Hi there, I'm Randad Abdel from ThruLine.